Hello. Hello. It's Landon. And Monique. Happy September, I guess. It's September. I know. And I think we have to acknowledge that yes. our province is still on fire. It is. And there's lots of people displaced. Yes. And we have to give a shout out to all of the nurses. Yeah, who have And caring. physicians who Absolutely. have evacuated multiple hospitals. Mm-hmm. Reopened them. Yes, exactly. Evacuated them again. Yeah. Reopened them again. And also, and we're also thinking of our colleagues down in the U.S. who have been faced with terrible disasters. And again, all the first responders and all the local heroes. So yeah. um, we're keeping you all in our prayers and in our hearts um, at this time. It's been, so it's been an interesting summer, It has it? been. And it's weird that in this kind of still hot um, September, we're going to be talking about frostbite. I know. Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> I wish it were cold outside because I'm perimenopausal and I would love to feel cold at some point. I can't believe you said that. Everyone, I'm sure nobody cares. Everyone thought you were this 20-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. some blonde. Yeah, not really. Anywho, let's start. All right. It's cold in here now. Yes, it is. Well, so in April 2017, just a few months ago, uh, the CBC, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, reported on an innovative frostbite protocol developed at Whitehorse General Hospital with excellent results. Now, those of you who are not from here may not know where Whitehorse is, so go on Google (laughs) and Google Maps Whitehorse. Yes. Don't think that our whole country looks like Whitehorse. Because, yes, you will see the stereotypical Canadian shot of snow. Exactly. And cold. Yes. Northern lights. Yes. All that good stuff. Yeah. So, yes, that is Whitehorse. Yes. But a lot of our country does not look like that. No. We don't live in igloos. Exactly. But it is, it's funny that we're talking about credit cards. Exactly. We are talking about (laughs) So, uh, both Monique and I have had the privilege of going up there. Um, a few times, actually. Uh, yeah. Mostly in an educational context. And I uh, have a few friends who've actually moved up there as well. And when we saw this, it was, we were actually, we really were nerdy. Yeah, we were. When we saw this on CBC. And it was quite funny. The first thing I did was like text it to some of my friends. Oh my God, your hospital's in the news. <laughs> like they wouldn't know. Exactly. It's their protocol. But we're not really surprised. They're wonderful um, human beings and great uh, physicians and nurses, Absolutely. aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. And so. practicing in a, in a, it's resource limited. They, they do Absolutely. have a hospital that's a big hospital, but they're also a number of hours away from the next level referral exactly. center. So, so. anyway. Let's start talking about frostbite. Yeah. Uh, frostbite results from the freezing of tissue. Uh, it is a disease of morbidity, not mortality. Mm-hmm. You will typically die of hypothermia, not frostbite. Exactly. But parts of your body can get frostbite. It's most often seen in people who climb mountains in the winter. Other cold weather enthusiasts, soldiers, those who work in the cold, uh, homeless is a big one. Yeah. Uh, and individuals stranded outdoors in the winter. And our goal is to recognize frostbite and to initiate treatment so that we can salvage as much tissue as possible. And sort of we think of this as a burn. Yeah, in, in absolutely. A, in it's a context, very similar. It's, it's a burn. And whereas a burn, you would rush into your trauma bay and start treating frostbite. You we may don't look tend at to. and go, okay, well, we'll have a look at it. But it's mm-hmm. a burn. And absolutely. So the tissue destruction is caused by that immediate cold-induced cell death and reperfusion-related localized inflammatory process and tissue ischemia. What happens is you get exposed to this sub-freezing temperature and ice crystals actually form in the extracellular space. If freezing is rapid, the ice crystals may actually form inside the cells themselves. Wow. 
And then there's a fluctuation of fluid and electrolytes, which causes lysis of the cell membranes with subsequent cell death. And then that inflammatory process ensues, which leads to tissue ischemia and necrosis. So the severity of it is determined by how cold it is outside, uh, the wind velocity and the humidity, and the location of the frostbite itself. So what it actually looks like in the depth of the tissue destruction. Of note, just because frostbite is usually related to environmental exposure to cold, it has also been reported following direct exposure to freezing material. So uh, we recently saw a patient who had applied an ice pack for an ankle sprain without wrapping it in a cloth and fell asleep and developed frostbite. Wow. So good health teaching is needed. Uh, Also a fingertip contact with a metal surface at a temperature of 15 degrees Celsius can also lead to frostbite. So if you're dealing with some kind of machinery that is very cold and you don't have proper gloves on and you touch it, I keep seeing those pictures of those kids who would stick their tongues on those cold metal things too, silly children. But anyway, don't do that. Okay, I was one of them. Yeah, so don't do that. But anyway, that won't call frostbite, but you might get stuck. But if you grew up in the prairies, you knew how to get your tongue off without (laughs) having to rip your tongue off. All right. Um, But yeah, it is an important thing, the mechanism. There are lots of places, even, you know, people down in the hot parts of the world, there are still very cold things. If you have a uh, liquid nitrogen leak or something and it suddenly gases vents out some gas that could cause frostbite Frostbite, at minus 200 degrees celsius it's going to freeze some things frostbite can cause immediate and long-term or permanent complications Uh, the immediate or short-term complications are the obvious tissue destruction you can get gangrene and infection of the affected areas patients who do not get their fingers amputated right away are often left to see how the frostbite involves and what preservation of tissue can happen so really, they're left to do what's called auto-amputate. Yeah. It takes some weeks. It's either going to fall off or it's going to stay there. It's kind of gross if you it, think it, about it. It is kind of gross. You it? can tell. I'm like, it's, in, it's the morning and I have I know. breakfast. I and I'm tell. kind of going, oh, he was He was doing that kind of like uh, retching. It's wow. <laughs> not a word I ever thought I would use. Auto-amputate. Auto yeah. However, if there is a deep infection, here it is again, before auto-amputation of non-viable tissue, they may need a therapeutic amputation. Long-term complications um, are typically due to peripheral neurovascular injury with abnormalities of sympathetic tone vasospasm, especially when patients get exposed to the cold again. So it's hypersensitivity to the cold, peripheral neuropathy, chronic pain, tissue atrophy, and scarring. Assessing frostbite is actually similar to assessing yeah. burn. So you want to check the, the CWMS or CWSM or MCWS, depending on what hospital you work exactly. at. Color, warmth, movement, and sensation, and cap refill every hour. You need to obviously check it's for the pain, painful. see yeah. if you're relieving that. Assess the evolution of the, of the injury or the burn and the extent of it. And there is a grading system for frostbite, because if there's one thing we love to do in medicine... is grade things. Let me guess. It's grades one through four. I think so. Because everything <laughs> always has four stages. Well, it's grades. interesting, because, uh, again, it's very much like burn, isn't it? So when we talk about a first-degree frostbite, it's superficial. The surface skin te- uh, damage is usually not permanent, very much like a first-degree burn, really. What they usually find in frostbite, though, is that the primary symptom is a loss of feeling in the skin. In the numb areas, the skin is numb and possibly swollen with a reddened border. And in the weeks after the injury, the skin surface may slough off. 
In second degree, the skin develops clear blisters early on and the skin surface hardens. In the weeks after this injury, that hardened blistered skin dries, blackens, and peels. At this stage, lasting cool sensitivity and numbness can develop. In the third degree, the layers of tissue below the skin freeze and you will get blood blisters and kind of a blue-gray discoloration of the skin. And then in the weeks after the injury, the pain persists, you get an eschar, and there can be long-term ulceration and damage um, to all of the growth plates as well. And in fourth degree, the structures below the skin are involved like muscles, tendons, and bones. And early symptoms include a colorless appearance of the skin, a hard texture, and painless rewarming. Again, like fourth degree, right? You don't have, because your nerves are all gone. Later on, the skin becomes black and mummified. And the amount of permanent damage can take one month or more to determine. And auto-amputation can occur after about two months. Hmm. Now, before speaking about the the specific treatment plan in or protocol in Whitehorse, uh, maybe Landon, you can talk about just kind of general treatment um, principles for frostbite. Sure. So the first is rewarming. Mm -hmm. And it's most effectively accomplished by putting the affected area in water heated to 39 to 39 degrees. Ideally, 37 to 39. Sorry, sorry, 37 to 39. Ideally in a whirlpool so a steady temperature can be maintained. So this isn't just run it under hot water. No. Faster and hotter isn't better. Higher temperatures do not warm the injured area faster. They just cause more pain. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dry heat is difficult to regulate and it's not recommended. Mm-hmm. Thawing is usually complete when the tissue is red or purple and soft to the touch. It can take... As little as 15 to 30 minutes. Right. Second treatment is thrombolysis. And this is for severe injury presenting within 24 hours. Because frostbite is associated with vascular thrombosis of affected tissue, administer... <laughs> Apparently it's garbage day. I think so. I'm sorry about the beeping. Ah, oh, well. All right. So because frostbite is associated with vascular thrombosis of affected tissue, administration of intravenous or intra-arterial TPA, along with intravenous or intra-arterial heparin or anoxaparin, has been used for therapy. So yeah. obviously isn't something you're just going to whip out and start doing. You're going to call some people and and let we'll, we'll tell you what is in the dumpster that is currently being <laughs> emptied as it goes. Oh, look, there's an auto-amputated part. Oh, for heaven's sakes. So it should only be considered in patients at high risk for life-altering amputation. So multiple ditch, digits, proximal amputation without contraindications to the use of TPA, who present within 24 hours of injury. This is rare. It's not like it's a, and there he goes. Yeah, just give us a couple of minutes. Maybe we'll just, there we go. All right. Uh, Thank goodness the garbage is emptied. (laughs) Do they not know we're recording a podcast? I guess not. Evidence in support of thrombolytics is limited, but it's growing. Yeah, there's a few studies going on right now. Yeah. Uh, Third is wound care. We do put non-adherent gauze as the first dressing layer and sterile fluff dressing to separate the fingers or toes. Avoid occlusive dressings. Splinting may be required to prevent yeah. contractures and elevate the limb to reduce edema yep. um, to the level of the heart. We still want some blood flow to get Yes, there, absolutely. Uh, and infection prophylaxis, so tetanus is a complication. And prophylactic antibiotics are controversial. They're not really recommended. If they have an infection, give antibiotics. They're kind of the general antibiotic yeah. theme these exactly. days. And surgical consult, they may require long-term wound care, uh, hydrotherapy, repeated tissue debridement, escarotomy, fasciotomy, delayed amputation. So really it's, you know, all of that, even working in a level one Mm -hmm. tertiary level trauma center, 
oh, that's even beyond us. Like, we would call someone yeah, for that. We would of... have the specialists come down. This isn't something, oh, look, it's frostbite. Let's go no. get the TPA out of the medication cabinet and just give it. it yeah. This is in consultation, exactly. maybe by phone for those of you in smaller places. Yeah. But it's definitely a call someone who does this every day. Exactly. So who but, does this every day? But you know what's interesting? Because you're saying that, but, you know, the Yukon has taken a really kind of a leadership role in this, and they've developed this new approach to treating frostbite, and they say they've been seeing some excellent results. And it was described in the Canadian Medical Association Journal in a recent article that was written by the White Horse um, General Hospital surgeon, Alex Poole, and the pharmacist, the clinical pharmacist, uh, Josiane Gauthier, who's from Quebec. So the current standard of care for severe frostbite, as Landon has just said, is rapid rewarming, debridement, aspiration of clear blisters, and applications of dry, bulky dressings. Unfortunately, this current approach may not be sufficient to prevent necrosis with amputation after often becoming the only solution. So advancements in the treatment of frostbite have been really slow, but studies have shown a decrease in amputation rate with both vasodilators and thrombolytics. So years ago, they used to have this adage of freezing in the winter and amputating in the spring. And that used to be how treat, uh, frostbite was treated. And that may not no longer be appropriate. So there's uh, vasodilators such as eloprost and fibrinolytics such as um, altaplase. They may actually play a role in mitigating the damage caused to the frostbitten tissue. Eloprost is a potent vasodilator and inhibits platelet aggregation and enhances fibrinolytic activity. These characteristics actually make it a, a drug of choice to reverse the marked vasoconstriction and microthrombosis occurring in frostbite. It's actually also used in Raynaud's syndrome, um, severe peripheral arterial occlusive disease. And at present, it's not commercially available in an IV form in either Canada or in the U.S. They actually use Ilipros in Whitehorse. Josian, the clinical pharmacist, said that the drug is used in Europe since like the 1990s for frostbite. Uh, but it wasn't commercially available in Canada. So they had to actually apply to Health Canada for special access, which they've received. They've been using it for about three years now, sometimes in combination with thrombolytics, and they've treated eight patients so far with excellent results. One of their patients was a runner in this uh, 2015 Arctic Ultra race who nearly lost all of his fingers. And they used Ilipros, and he kept all his digits, and he came back in the winter of 2016 to embark on yet another winter adventure. Yeah, these cold weather enthusiasts. Their goal is really not to prevent all amputations uh, in Whitehorse. Their goal is to minimize how much of a finger or toe had to be amputated, or if anything at all. They have a special grading system where grade one is a distal phalanx absence of blisters. Grade two is a middle phalanx clear blisters. Grade three, proximal phalanx with hemorrhagic. And grade four was metacarpal or tarsal with hemorrhagic blisters. Of course, there's four grades. Exactly. Again. Someone yeah. needs to make a scale with three <laughs> or five. I know. But their protocol for frostbite incorporates three intravenous medications, Ilipros, um, Altaplase, and Heparin. Ilipros is only used for grade 3 and 4 cases, whereas Altaplase and Heparin are only for grade 4. Mm -hmm. So they've been very clear about who needs to do it. So really, and Landon actually said this right away, their first step in their protocol is to get surgical consult or somebody somebody. else, somebody. Again, the rapid rewarming, and they do chlorhexidine and isopropyl alcohol 
talking about that whirlpool again, debriding or aspirating clear blisters, putting on an aloe vera protective ointment and some low, uh, porous, low adherent wound dressings, elevating to the level of the heart, no smoking and alcohol, tetanus, ibuprofen every six hours, and then for grade three and higher IV infusion of Ilipros, two mils per kilogram per minute, six hours each day for five days. For grade four, after Ilipros, then you do um, Altaplase for one day and Heparin for 72 hours. Now, we don't expect you to remember that entire protocol, so we will include the article on the protocol on the website. Perfect. So in summary, Mm -hmm. frostbite can be a debilitating injury. You need to assess the extent of tissue damage and treat the pain and the symptoms that are there now. Neat advancements in treatments for frostbite. Yeah. But they've been slow. Yeah, very, very slow. Unfortunately, your sample size is rather small. Which is good, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And preliminary treatment using Iloprost has shown a decrease in tissue necrosis and a decrease in amputation, which is exciting. It is very exciting. And And it's exciting that it's... Here in Whitehorse and kudos. Whitehorse. I know. So kudos to you all in Whitehorse. And it doesn't take, you know, what's wonderful about this and what Landon and I always talk about, you don't need to be in the biggest hospital with all the resources. It takes some people who are dedicated and have a passion and see an opportunity to kind of figure out what can we do better for our patients. So I think that that's probably why you and I love it that it came from Whitehorse because that's what we should be doing as nurses is to push the status quo and do what we want to see done for our patients absolutely regardless of your resources so good job good job white horse yay i feel like we should sing oh canada or something now we won't won't. (laughs) i think that's it yeah so we will see you in october we will have a great start of september um and school for everybody going back to school and we'll See you soon. Yeah. Bye. For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursem.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursemCast and also find us on Facebook at Nursem Podcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca